It is a Monday night edition of the Chair Shop Podcast, and folks, we have no time to waste. The festive season is here. Santa Claus is listening. He wants a good show, right? A good show with no messing about. So you'll be happy to know, listeners, we've cut Dwayne Johnson busters, yeah, to make sure we all to make sure we all go on the good list this year. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Barry, joined as always by Joe. Hi, Barry. Dwayne Johnson busters will be back next week. Of course it will. It will, we, it will never retire. Unlike the actual Rock, who did retire forever, um, uh, Dwayne Johnson Busters will be back because we know it's beloved by Paul, who's also with us. Uh, hello. I do love it. Um, and it will be back. All all your favourite features eventually return, everyone. That will be back. We will be doing again. We've got a busy show ahead of us, so, so no, no uh, CSP's got issues, but that will also be back. You know, maybe down the line we'll even bring back Explain and... <laughs> we definitely don't have time for that one. <laughs> we don't have time to fucking say the title of that one. Um, so we'll keep moving. Um, but yeah, so lots to get into there, lads. We are, as I said... Truly, they're deep into the festive season. Um, uh, I've got lots of Christmas stuff to chit-chat about when we get to our various guffs. Did a little bit of um, uh, Christmas shopping this week. Um, I'm a bit disappointed. I'm trying to find something small for my mam that she can have on the day because her main gift was me paying half the price of the dog getting spayed. Um <laughs> Which is just the most damn thing ever to ask for. That's more of a gift for the dog. No, I don't think the dog liked it, to be honest. Um, it's a gift for the other dogs in the in the neighbourhood. Yeah, so, so she asked for that, so I paid for that. that that's, but you can't open that Christmas morning. That's the problem. Oh, you can try. You can You can pull the stitches off. Oh, no. Oh. That's... Terrible. That's terrible. Anyway, yeah, so thankfully Brona was out and about and, and saw a lovely little, like, bath set. Got her that. So, yeah, you know, but other than that, I think I'm, like, done, which is very exciting because we've come out of lockdown and people are going crazy. So um, I'm very excited to uh, uh, stay indoors um, and no longer have to be harassing the post carriers um, uh, for the remainder of the year. How about you, lads? You've been doing any shopping? What's your Christmas week? Or your, 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 your last two weeks, rather, been like? Uh, well, not not too much up, not too much this past week. But uh, <clears throat> the week before, we were on our wonderful Thanksgiving vacation, um, so we had the whole week off. So that was fantastic. Um, did did lots of fun, as much fun as you can have uh, in these in these dark times. Um, just popped out here and there. Um, had our Thanksgiving dinner on the Thursday, which was nice. Didn't get a turkey because what I didn't realize in my naivete is that. You can't really get a fucking turkey in Britain in the end of November because everyone wants to buy one in the middle of December, as makes sense because we're having it for Christmas. So if you want to get a whole turkey in November, you have no choice but to pay extortionate, extortionate money. Oh, those bloody, those bloody scalpers again going yeah. on eBay with their uh, receipt, genuine pre-order of a turkey, <laughs> and it's just a fucking picture of a turkey, just a picture of a turkey for six hundred quid. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm not paying sixty pound for a big fucking hell, a big tasteless chicken. Um, so instead, we did just get a chicken and cook that. But it was very nice. We had the chicken, the mash, 
lovely bit of gravy and veg and mm. all that. Could not get a pumpkin pie for love nor <laughs> money. Uh, so we had an, an apple pie instead, but that was that was very nice. So yeah, Thanksgiving was was wonderful. Um, in the morning, we actually we had fun watching on YouTube the Macy's uh, 2000 uh, Thanksgiving Parade. Oh. So going going back in time there to the year 2000. Um, followers of my Twitter account will have seen the uh, Ask Jeeves uh, yeah. that made made a cameo appearance. Um, that one, I think that was like the year before Google, or maybe the year Google started to actually come to prominence. And that was when mm-hmm. people still use sort of Yahoo, Ask Jeeves, Alta Vista, uh, Lycos, that, that sort of thing. So that was fun. Um, after that, in that same kind of thread, I also tweeted about the fact that Tito Puente Jr. Um, was on one of the floats performing a song, uh, possibly on the worst um, episodes of miming I've ever seen. No, they, didn't no. even, they didn't even give the poor bastard a microphone. He was literally just shouting into the open air this, along with this song. Um, so I tweeted about that, and I actually got a tweet back um, from Mr. Tito Puente, Tito Puente Jr., who um, found found my tweet on Twitter oh, and no. just wanted to. He just wanted to let me know. That in fact he would have loved to have sung live, um, but getting it all set up in time wasn't wasn't you know feasible as part of the parade. So I I tweeted him back and said, look, I'm sure Tito, love you, love your dad, love his work. Um, <laughs> could, next next Thanksgiving, could you please do a rendition of Senior Burns uh, and the floats? I love that he started. I, just, I looked up the tweet here. I love that he started with Joe. Like he's sitting you down to listen up, listen up, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and even better, the video I posted was from the year 2000, bracket, 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was uh, best please. But I didn't mean, I wasn't having a go at him. I was having a go at the organizers for not doing a good job. Anyway, so yeah, that was that was also very very fun. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a very very fun Thanksgiving week, and then back back to the old uh, grind this week. But uh, yeah, it was a lovely lovely vacation. How about you, Paul? What have you been up to? Oh well, first of all, um, how's the wife gone? I was living a lie, and she knew it. <laughs> um. Yeah, all alone in the world for the last two weeks. No, Natty's back. Don't worry. She's she she just went off to her parents for a little while. I was only doing a bit. Yeah, um, if that I, for a second there, I was like, he's not actually coming out with the, doing this bit, is he? <laughs> is he having a breakdown? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if if it's serious and he still does the yumma yumma yumma, that's when I know he's properly locked it. <laughs> Yeah, Natty went up to her parents' house uh, for a few days, pretty much two weeks, um, leaving me on my own some to consume a lot of lonely media. Um, and so she's back now. We are, are, are um, her uh, doggy daycare business reopened today as well. So we had some nice dogs in. <laughs> business picked up right where we left off, which is very good. Um but yeah, being being alone, I don't think we've been apart for two weeks since we since we started going out, started living together. Um, I don't quite know what to do myself when I'm on my own. <laughs> I'm just so used to her being around. I bet you do. I, it's very disrespectful. <laughs> I just found myself 
like <laughs> I'm like the old Scottish widow, like looking out looking out windows and stuff. Like, oh, what's the world about really? What's life? Um no, but as we will discuss, I did get an opportunity to watch a lot of TV, a lot of movies, and play a lot of video games. Mm. Which is to the benefit <laughs> the detriment of my mental health, but to the benefit of the podcast. You give and take, you know. Yeah. Um I'm sitting in my chair currently, as I do, of a Sunday or Monday night overlooking the road on which we live, uh, which now features an abundance of Christmas lights, which is very nice. Hmm. Um, what it doesn't feature at the moment is the dense fog that has overtaken the east side of this island for the last two, three days. Uh, I'd actually gone for a walk in the park earlier today um get my ten thousand steps is in and uh i was walking there's a, a little um hilltop you can walk up uh which is like over uh cast with trees and so it's when you add the fog to that it was very very cool and very spooky um i felt like i was in a in a horror movie or like a silent hill game and uh, the entire walk, I didn't come across another person. Um, uh, I, I measured my field of vision. Field of vision was 25 steps, Ooh. Which, which is very foggy. <laughs> how, wait, how did you measure that? Uh, I, I know on the walk, because I've done this walk so many times, that there's a bench at a specific area. Okay. So I knew, look, there's a bench coming up on my right-hand side here. Uh I'll wait until I can see it, or at least make out where it is, and then walk to it and count how many steps it takes me to get to it. 25. So it was real foggy, but that was a real um, real interesting walk. I, I, I quite like doing, like, I, I would never bungee jump, or I would never skydive. But, you would but I, love a da- I love a dangerous, dark, foggy walk. <laughs> I'll walk 25 steps in some fog. I like to live on the edge. <laughs> I too like to live dangerously. <laughs> like I've done that, you know, um, where, where I used to live up by the beach for a few years uh, up in Meath. Uh, I used to walk through the sand dunes in the dark. And that was quite nice mm-hmm. as well. I don't know what it is about going for walks in the dark. Obviously, there's the, the higher risk of somebody jumping out at you with a, a knife or something. Oh, yeah. um, but you know aesthetically there's something nice about it just walking in the moonlight with no other source of light i don't know i quite quite enjoy it speaking of walking did a big old walk uh this week um 18 kilometers wow and and you know the only reason i'm walking 18 kilometers was to have a burger king (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, we walked out to, um, the Burger King in Liffey Valley, had myself a nice, uh, double Whopper. Oh, lovely. Which is very good. We, we walked the nine kilometers out there and then nine kilometers back. So three hour walk for Burger King. I think we more or less <laughs> walked off the entire meal by the time we got back. Um, but that was quite a nice one. Um, apart from those, like pretty much after I finished work, these days, uh, I'm going for like a 10,000 step walk. I, I do it most days uh, at the moment. Just because, 
you got to do something, don't you? Keep you keep uh, keep the legs going, and also it gives me an opportunity to listen to some podcasts, which I don't really do during the day. Um, and then Natty came back. She was supposed to come back on Friday, um, and she actually came back Thursday night and surprised me, which was real a real nice little surprise. She turned over at the door. I'm like, "What are you doing? Here? What, are you, what are you doing here?" I'm following her around like a little dog, little puppy. Um, so that was nice. Um, yeah, apart from that, I, I literally spent all my free time in front of the TV <laughs> because there's nothing else to do. So I guess we can start talking about that since we have um, about 35 things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose we could jump in there. No um, no real other life go from me. Uh, so yeah, what do, we want to do? what do we want to start with? What are we feeling? Um, Telly Guff? We can do some telly guff. Yeah, why don't you get us started? Okie dokie. Um, started watching uh, Damon Lindelof and HBO's Watchmen. Oh, okay. Finished it Finished it as well. That good, eh? Uh, real good. Really, 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 really good. Um, to catch everyone up to speed, I am a very big fan of the Watchmen comic. Mm. I absolutely detest the film. Mm. So, you know, I've kind of covered the the gamut there. So anywhere that the TV series was going to fall was going to hopefully be somewhere in the middle, <laughs> leading up to the, the better slide. Uh, I was really impressed. I thought it was really, really good. Um, I definitely enjoyed the earlier episodes a bit more. Um, like, it, it introduced a lot of newer characters like if you've read the book you're familiar with the comedian night owl mm. those kind of characters you find out very quickly that although this is a show in the watchman universe it isn't necessarily a continuation of, directly of their story okay. or or about those characters so it introduces a lot of new characters um and i actually found the new characters a lot more compelling then <laughs> whichever of the older characters may or may not show up without spoiling anything. Mm. Um, I found those characters a bit more compelling because they're a little bit more grounded in, in realism as much as Watchmen is uh, a superhero um, story grounded in realism. Um, definitely some of those characters, especially the, you know, the, the Dr. Manhattans of the world still are a little bit more, Superhero cliche, let's say. Mm. Um, great performance as well. Regina King is like the lead character in it. Um, Jeremy Irons is in it. Uh, Don Johnson. So it's got a really good cast. Um, as well as some other actors whose names I can't remember, remember off the top of my head, um, who were also fantastic. And I, I liked particularly the actor who played like the senator, the actor who played um, a superhero called Looking Glass. Uh, they're really great. Um, there's also uh, probably the best episode of the series is maybe the sixth episode or seventh episode, which is like, again, without spoiling anything, is kind of like a flashback episode to give context to certain parts of the story. That was maybe the best episode of the series. And then I'll say that the wheels definitely didn't come off by any stretch of the imagination. But as the story kind of came to its conclusion, it did dip its toe a little bit into MacGuffin-y superhero cliche. Okay. So I thought, 
like the finale for me, which is usually the climax and the best part of a series, to me it was like the weakest episode. So <laughs> a little bit this not disappointing necessarily because the series for for eight of the nine episodes is like really great, and then had had like a merely good finale. Okay. But um, for anyone with a passing interest, like like I said, I hated the film, and I although I really really enjoyed the comic, I only read it once, and I don't necessarily have a huge affinity for the um I was gonna say the brand, but like the the franchise, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was really great. So I would highly recommend. And it's only nine episodes long, uh HBO. So if you can uh get your hands on that somehow, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I still haven't finished the book. Uh I wanna I wanna uh, well, I, I would recommend that more. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to finish that, and then I will watch the movie, and then I will watch the show. Um, I kind of i i am enjoying the comic quite a lot. I think the reason I've kind of fallen, I think I only have like two issues left or something, is that I think it's a very interesting world and commentary. I feel like on a character level, I am not grabbed by any of these people. Right. Um, but you know, I'm still enjoying it. And. While I hated the movie, I realized that it's also not even so much a divisive movie. I think more more often than not, people like the movie. But what I will say is, from an impartial point of view, the movie is definitely, for better or worse, like maybe the most Zack Snydery film that he's made. Yeah, the positives and the negatives that go along with that. I, I don't like. I don't like his movies. Yeah, so. well, neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't I, appeal to me. I also just just feel like it just just even from my not even having finished reading it yet, just just seems like a, a premise that does not translate to a blockbuster movie really at all. Um, you know. Yeah, and also his like when he made the movie, he made it with like a slavish devotion to be like really really close to the comic anyway. So it was it's kind of redundant in that way, and he did make some. Uh, notable changes to it that didn't exactly go down well, uh, and I won't elaborate any more on that. Right, but okay. um, yeah, definitely. Um, if your goal is to obviously finish that comic because it's absolutely fantastic, mm. but if you then are interested to watch the series because of the hype it's received as well, um, yeah, I, I would highly recommend you kind of make your way through that, even if that means to watch the movie. Mm. Um, even though I didn't like the movie, well, I, it's more just a case of getting it done to see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I will say is you don't need to have seen the movie to um, watch the show. Of course, of course. Because the, the TV show has no relation to the film. And now, I realize that the film and the book are the same thing, but the the series makes specific reference to things from the book that did not happen in the film. So right. it, it really doesn't follow from the, the film at all. Okay. Um, we also finished Twin Peaks, the original series. Um, so we got onto the finale of that finally. Um, haven't started season three yet, but what I'll say about season two is it definitely got a little bit better towards the end. Um, the finale where David Lynch directed for like the first episode in in quite a while was definitely very different from what the show had become, and definitely a big step back into the David Lynch feel of the earlier episodes. Um, that being said, I still found it a little bit, um, a little bit choppy, a little bit messy. Maybe that's just because he's kind of like 
stepping back into the to take the reins of a show that had kind of the wheels had fallen off already and so to an extent like i think a lot of the stuff in the finale like although it was a little bit hit and miss i think it was definitely more hit than miss and the tone of the show and the look of the show was like back to the heights of where it once was but because of where the show had gone and because of the storylines that show was already entrenched in you know he he did it he did his best with it basically um i did like it a lot and then we also watched the movie which i'll get to when we do our uh, movie guff mm. but um yeah twin peaks as having completed the original series let's say um like the the first half is is all time great um and i would god i would almost recommend somebody unless you are re- unless you get really into it like i have and you are in it for the long haul to watch the whole first two series, the movie, the missing pieces, the return third series. If you're just in it for like that Laura Palmer thing, watch up to like the 60th episode and then just stop watching <laughs> because okay. that is that is the ninth season of The Simpsons. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Now, while, okay. while, while the drop off isn't that significant, um, the golden era is definitely as clearly defined as it is in the Simpsons. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, to me, it's it's up there. It's properly fantastic TV. Definitely takes a dive after that. Um, I'm really intrigued to see where the 2017 series goes, which we'll probably will start maybe tomorrow or the next day. And hoping that that finished before Christmas. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely uh, a big Twin Peaks fan now. Really happy that I finally got around to watching it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, we watched uh, Master Chef, more Master Chef, mm. which we enjoy. Um, don't have much to say about it aside from the fact that I was talking to um, people in the Discord server about it today, um, and they were comparing it to the the US version of Master Chef, which obviously Gordon Ramsay hosts, and mm-hmm. everything is damn. That's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> And I was saying how is that Gordon Ramsay? No, I, I can't. I can't even pretend to do a Gordon Ramsay voice. Um, but I, 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 I was just pointing out how it's funny how the 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 British Master Chef is very like dry in, in comparison to anyone who's seen any of the clips of the US one, where you have Gordon Ramsay and then a guy with like a soul patch and <laughs> a tattooed arm. You know, you don't have those kind of characters on the UK one. The UK one is very like stoic. There's no um, humor. There's no hyperbole. It's very, very straight, you know, um, which is what I like about it, especially when the other equivalent that I watch is, as I've said, RuPaul's Drag Race. MasterChef is such a dry, oh, you've you've cooked that duck breast beautifully, <laughs> you know? It's like, I can appreciate how um, how simple it is. Um, and I, yeah, I really, really enjoy watching MasterChef three, three days a week. It's only got two more weeks until it's done. Um, and yeah, there's been some... Well, although there's no humor, there's no hyperbole, you do get the people on it who cook. Like, there was one guy who, who used ants for flavoring, oh. for example. And it was, it was just... Yeah, they had... And then and then the, the judges were like, yes, there's a there's definitely an acidity there from the ants that I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> so you do get some weirdos on, uh, on it 
like you do with your X Factors or Pop Idols of the world. But um, we watched that. And then to close up my little portion of the telly guff, uh, we were still on the Gilmore Girls, of course. Um, we just got to the very sad episode, the uh, the anniversary, three-month anniversary of Rory and Dean, mm-hmm. which uh, sparked a, a discussion between me and, and Natty mm-hmm. where, you know, let, let, let's call this spoilers for a mid-season one episode of a show from 20 years ago, <laughs> um, where Rory and Dean have their their three-month anniversary. They're only 16-year-old kids, like, three-month anniversary. And Dean has the whole night planned out. Um, they go to dinner, and then he shows her that he's been building her a car. And then he drops the big I love you bomb. And little 16-year-old Rory doesn't know how to react to that. And she's like, oh, I just need a minute. I need a minute. And, of course, Dean's little mind doesn't know how to react to the rejection. And so... They break up on their third anniversary, third month anniversary. I was like, oh, my God. And Natty was saying, like, wow, Dean, like, really overreacted to that. Mm. And I was saying, well, you know, although they're kids, they're like, after three months, sometimes, and, and again, this is me speaking with my old, my old 32-year-old head in me, but like, you know. Dean, as a, as a kid, wants to hear back. Still, I love you. Now they want to feel that progression of the relationship, especially that they've been going out for, you know, for what uh, for a sixteen year old is quite a long relationship. So we had a little talk about that. But that was um, the last episode we watched, and that was like that was like a proper cliffhanger ending because you don't find out until the very very end of the episode. Rory comes in, and she says, "We just broke up." and Lorelai runs up at the hug and that's like the end of the episode. I was like, oh my God, what a way to, what a way, that's almost a season ending uh, cliffhanger. Mm. But yeah, still very much enjoying that show. Um, definitely uh, enjoy a lot of the characters like Twin Peaks to an extent. It has that big ensemble, which works really well. And like Twin Peaks, the majority of the people are complete weirdos. Mm. Your man who's obsessed with the town uh, traditions and the little parades they do. What's his name? Uh, Taylor. Taylor. He's one of my favorites as well. Himself and the Korean mother. They're the the two best characters in the show. Complete, complete weirdos. It's great. (laughs) Half expect a log lady to show up at some point. Uh, That's all I watched. Lovely. Um, I've I've uh, only watched one new thing, and it's not even really new, but I watched it. Uh, I started Curb Your Enthusiasm this week for the first time ever. Um, and I, I want to watch the first two episodes, but it is very funny, and I'm looking forward to watching more. Um, yeah, I don't really have much much to add beyond that. It's good stuff. Um, I've also watched a million uh, Christmas episodes of things. Uh, I think most of the Friends one at this stage, which are mostly all right. Watch all the Thanksgiving ones as well, which are mostly all right. Um, oh, I forgot to watch the one with Brad Pitt, now that I think about it. That's one of the best ones. Um, first episode of The Simpsons, which is lovely. Um, uh, and the Scrubs episode from season one, uh, yes. which is very good. Very, I, haven't watched that, I haven't watched that in years uh, that's a very good episode of TV. 
So yeah, enjoying that. Still have quite a number of things to get through, and I watched a couple of Christmas movies that I'll talk about later. But yeah, that's it. No, no, no other new telly for me. I finished um, uh, Lovecraft Country, which was very good. Last two episodes very strong. Uh, ended very strong. Bit of a delay because now TV took it down. Maybe I don't know why. It was only on telly a month ago. Did you lose the rights in a month? I don't know, but they took it down, so I had to go watch it elsewhere. Uh, but uh, very good. Not not an amazing show, but a very very good, promising first season. And I, I will say, I think it is maybe my favorite Michael K. Williams performance of his many great ones um, on HBO alone. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed. That's my TV. Good shit. Uh, well, I'm all I'm all caught up on the Mandalorian. Um, ah, been watching that at the weekend. Um, Ooh. The old Mando, baby. Um, I'm still too behind that. Well, FYI. let me uh, spoil everything for you about oh, yeah. <laughs> about how Darth Vader returns. No, it doesn't really. Um, he's dead. Um, yeah, it's good. It's really good. I I think with the first season of Mandalorian, I, I did like it a lot, enjoyed it. I think maybe I kind of glossed over the last few episodes a little bit. I kind of just maybe had them on, didn't really pay attention because now watching the second season, I kind of got much more into it. And now they've started to incorporate a lot more from the kind of wider um, Star Wars expanded universe. Um, it's actually starting to get really kind of interesting. And now I, I want to go back and watch the first season all over again uh, and kind of and actually pay attention properly this time. So I think it's actually a much better show than I realized kind of the first time around. So I'm looking forward right now to, to doing the rewatch. Um, watch the Sasha Banks episode. She didn't have too many lines, to be honest, but she you know, she stood there and looked all right. It looked like she was in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> she wore a cloak, yeah. She wore a thing, and yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so I can't say too much more without, without spoiling it, but I think that, I think the second season is going to be a bit more divisive with um, certain people, certain fans. Uh, I was watching the Red Letter Media review of season one over the weekend as well, just to kind of remind myself of what they thought the first season. Um, And some of the things they kind of talk about, I think you start to see, well, some of the things they were worried about, you start to see a little bit more in season two, but I I loved it. I thought it was stayed to the right side of... um, not going down the same path as the the sequels where it's all just you know digging up the same old shit and you know ridiculous uh storylines and old characters and everyone's related to everyone like i think it doesn't go down that path i think it's still it's still following the right path so hopefully it stays stays on that path but anyway yeah mandalorian that's all i've watched kind of new new this week but uh yeah great great show probably my favorite show at the moment i'd say oh wow uh, yeah, I, I gotta get. I haven't done season two yet. Gotta get caught up on that one. Uh, yeah, we will hop in to the game guff here. Lots of ga- lots of games this week, so we'll go go through it. One thing I forgot to mention uh, in my life guff thing: more delayed consoles, baby. Postal service taking me for a ride. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the the old PlayStation shipped. And uh, I was getting it to a, a parcel motel, but it was too fat and hideous to fit in the parcel motel um, uh, near my near my apartment. So they took it to the um, to the depot, the big depot where they have big cages and they can put your stuff in there, oh, yeah. which is about a half hour out of town. 
It's like, I'm right, that's nice and close. So this was on uh, 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 Tuesday. Uh, they got it to Belfast on Monday, got it down to Limerick on Tuesday. Lovely, great, fast service, brilliant. And now it's just a half hour from my house. So um, I couldn't get out to the, the depot before closing time at my job. So I was like, they offered a little home delivery service. I was like, yeah, go on, home delivery. Just drop extra day, who cares, whatever. So that was Tuesday morning. And Tuesday ended, and then Wednesday ended, and then Thursday ended. And I was like, I could throw a coke can out my window and possibly hit the depot this thing is at why the fuck is it taking three days to to come to my um uh, apartment and then i rang on i rang on thursday and then again on friday and then on friday um uh, they were like oh yeah they missed it again <laughs> i like, how did they miss it again I didn't, and I was like, ah, who cares? So I was like, right, I finish early on Fridays. I'll just go out and get it. The size of this fucking box, right? Brona took a picture of it and tweeted it, which I, which I shared on my on my Twitter. Absolutely comical. Like, the thing is massive. But then Amazon put it in an even bigger box to the point it looks like I ordered a small fridge. Um, uh, so I, I, about a week after I, uh, over a week after I ordered it, I finally got the thing and I hooked it up. Uh, uh, it is it is gigantic and it is hideous as well. It's an absolute fucking monstrosity. Um, uh, but I, I I'm in I'm enjoying it uh, so far. I don't really have too much to say about the thing itself beyond what I said about the Xbox. They are quite similar. Uh, very quiet, which is good. No no loud fans or, or, or anything like that. Uh, fast load times, fast boot up, all that stuff's great. So I'll just jump into the games. Uh, I played through the entirety of Astro's Playroom, which is the free kind of um, preloaded on the system game, uh, which is by the same team who did the Astro VR game, Paul, which I think you played as well. Yeah, my favorite game of the year. Uh, whenever it came out, I, I well, I think you would love this when when this comes out when you get when you get your hands on a PlayStation. So basically, they they straight up say at the beginning of it, they're like, "This game is to show off some of the features of the of the Dual Sense, the new controller." Um, and I have to say, it is actually genuinely pretty impressive. Um, uh, it's got uh, the controller's got uh, triggers that uh, you know L two and R two that. They can react normal, but if the game wants them to have some resistance, it can put some resistance on them, and that feels really cool. It has the uh, a sort of more advanced version of what the Switch was pushing early with the HD rumble. Uh, so there's little sections of the game where you're rolling things around in your controller, and if you tilt it to the left, everything tilts to the left, and uh, it's just really, it's just really, really, really satisfying. It's a fun little platformer with tons of uh, PlayStation nostalgia um, uh, in there. Very, very good for a free game. Played that, like that. I uh, got the platinum in that, which is easy. It's not. That's not a. It's not. Um, you know, The Witcher Three exactly in terms of scale. Uh, I played that new Watch Dogs game. Uh, Watch Dogs London, mm-hmm. uh, or Summit, um, which is interesting. I don't love it, but it's interesting. Uh, this is the one where you can play as like any character in the world. Basically, you can recruit any NPC you bump into off the street, and they all have unique traits. So you, you scan a builder, and it's like his his special power is a big wrench to hit people with, and you and, and, it is, and that, that's what it genuinely. I gotta say, that sounds fun, Barry. It, it is, you know, it is. I mean, that is a cool concept. Um, and you know, you can like recruit old ladies that have like, they have certain special abilities, but then they also have uh, can't run, 
Um, you know, so it's that's really cool, but and it the story is somewhat interesting, but I think the core of it is still a uh, watchdogs uh, steal a car, drive to the checkpoint, talk to person, okay, uh, steal another car, drive to this place, sneak in, uh, do a hacking mini game, and then that's the mission. Um, that part of it is still very familiar, but it is it is weird and out there in a way I really appreciate. Um, and uh, something I think you couldn't do. 10 years ago because i feel like 10 years ago if you were to try this like i have not i have not bumped into two of the same npcs in a row do you know what i mean like they they're first of all their 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 vision of london is is really really fantastic really gorgeous looking game uh a, a bit futuristic it's set like near future there are automated cars everywhere um and drones all over the place but it's it's really great with tons of varied people and varied voices on the streets and uh, it's 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 not a, an amazing game, but I, I actually really do appreciate the uh, um, uh, the the scale and what they were going for. Played a bit of that. Uh, played some uh, Bug Snacks, which was the free PS Plus game on PS Five. Have you, have you played any of that, Paul? It's on PS Four as well. Have you played? Have you have you seen any of this? No. I think you'd like it, but it's a weird game that's very hard to describe i remember listening to like preview and review coverage of it and i was like what is it what do you do in it i didn't really understand and after playing it now i'm kind of like it's kind of a story-based adventure game is kind of the very broad definition of it i heard i heard it likened a bit to pokemon snap yeah but but so that's that's the other comparisons to make but the pokemon snap stuff is kind of more more a means to an end it's like a, it's basically like a type of puzzle solving uh you're doing right. you're doing to advance a story and it, it is very much walk around and talk to the characters and and that's the game more so than anything else uh but yeah there's an element of pokemon snaps with the, the bug snacks themselves are very pokemon um if anyone hasn't seen this it's like a first person uh, uh sort of cutesy on the surface game with a bit of a weird edge where you go to this island where it's full of animals that are basically living food. Uh, there's one called a strabby, which is just a strawberry that walks around on its little green leaves. <laughs> um, the characters all have great names. There's uh, there's Gramble, who is like a hippie who doesn't approve of the eating of bug snacks. Because um, bug snacks are like the most delicious food in the world and when you eat them your body turns into a part of them so like you feed a you feed a strabby to one of the other characters and their hand turns into a strawberry it's completely bizarre and they just have this one character who's like this is wrong by the way eating these things is fucking weird um and all the other characters are like uh, i a bug snacks farmer, uh, a, a singer who's looking to find inspiration for her music by eating bug snacks. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> and they have, and yeah, the characters are called things like Wambus and uh, my favorite Befica. Um, uh, Befica is like the popular girl who calls everyone a squeeb. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's very weird and in a way that kind of like. It kind of has a children's game aesthetic, but it's I think it's kind of dark and not in a cringy way where they swear. Like, I think a child could play this, but it's fucking weird. Like, it's weird that they have the character there who wants to who you can genuinely donate bug snacks to him that he will take care of. And then you can feed them to other characters so they can turn their head into a pineapple. It's so fucking weird. Um, And like two of the two of the 
characters have like marital problems and the husband has a cactus dressed up like the wife and i'm like oh my god i i i am i'm gobsmacked by what this game is but i'm genuinely curious about uh, uh about it so i'm gonna play a bit more and, and and try and get to the end of the story it's only a couple hours long i hear but yeah you take photos of them like in pokemon snap they have like habits where this one flies in a circle but it gets tired and it lands over here so when it lands over here you can catch it uh this one can't be caught by your traps but you can trick it into ramming its head into a wall and then it gets dizzy and it's stuff like that um, it is very pokemon uh snap stuff so yeah that's bug snacks that's good i could probably talk for another hour about that uh played more ori 2 on the old xbox that's a cracking game really love it uh paul after your uh, uh praises being sung i jumped back into ghost of tsushima and that may have been the game I played the most on the PlayStation 5 so far. Uh, Ooh, baby, does that already good-looking game look very nice uh, uh, on the the new system with the old, uh, the higher frame rate and all that jazz, Um, and, like, non-existent load times. Like, it was actually really good on the PS4, but, like, you press press on the map to fast travel, and you're just there. You are just there. Like, it's crazy. Right. Uh, um, I'm, I'm... getting back into that game in a big way. I've powered through a bit more of the story. I'm still very early, but I've got the grapple hook now and I'm doing all the side quests. I got the, oh, what's that unblockable strike you get called? Uh, Heavenly Strike or something. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, oh, I, that quest is so cool. That fight at the end when you get it is so cool. Um, yeah, I'm getting big into it. It is, it is genuinely the game I've played the most in the last two weeks. Um yeah, so I'm really enjoying that. I, I'm going to try and finish that before the end of the year. Um, and I think that is the end of my Marathon Games Week. Um, yeah. Woof. Played a lot, played a lot. Well, you got how many fucking consoles? Oh, more consoles. <laughs> wait, until, wait until my new Switch Lite gets here. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I've just got the uh, the one console. Okay. Uh, so I've been playing... Um, Super Mario 2, the uh, European-American version, which was known, uh, or actually it was based on a game called uh, Doki Doki Panic, um, which if you don't know, Doki Doki is an onomatopoeic Japanese word. uh, (laughs) You bastard. Meaning meaning heartbeat, um, of course. So you'll see that popping up in lots of different uh, Japanese games. But anyway. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I I played that. That, And uh, it is awful. It was painful getting through that game, to be oh, honest. No. I made a liberal use of the uh, suspension feature to just save where I was. And when I died, I'd just keep going back to that same point until I, until I got through it. Um, it's a really kind of just ugly looking game. <laughs> Very unimagined. Like the same kind of bosses over and over again. Um, you die just randomly because you walk into a new bit and immediately something attacks you and you have no idea it's coming. So there's not really that much skill involved. It's just kind of, it's like when um, Lisa does the the test with the like the hamster or whatever it was, and Bart is grabbing like the electric thing and keeps getting shocked and he won't learn. That's basically how Super Mario Brothers Two works. You just have to keep learning. Oh, I'm gonna die here. Just do it over and over again until I learn. Um, yeah, so I didn't enjoy that. did manage to get through it in the end. Um, we'll never, ever, ever play that again. But I'm, kinda, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad I experienced it finally after all these years because I, I didn't have it as a kid. So this was the first time actually experiencing it. So that was no good. Um, but from the ridiculous to the sublime, 
I then moved on to playing uh, Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels, wow. um, which was uh, released in Japan as Super Mario Brothers 2. So that was, you know, the Japanese equivalent. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot about this, you know, the game or the Lost Levels. I never had all Super Mario All Stars as a kid. I never really looked into that game. I knew that there was kind of like a different version from Japan to here, and I, I didn't quite know what the difference was. Um, but playing it, it is brilliant. It's basically super, the original Super Mario Brothers, but it's more levels. Like, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. And I'm kind of gutted that I only just discovered the existence of this game and I haven't been playing it for years because it's, it's so, so good. Uh, I'm playing the, um, obviously, like the remastered kind of All-Stars um, version. Super Nintendo version. Yeah, the yeah. Su- Super Nintendo version, which is um, obviously, look, you know, the graphics are much better. The colors are really sharp and it plays really nicely. So with all the kind of expanded levels and how it looks, it feels a lot more kind of halfway in between um you know, Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario World, so kind of closer to Super Mario 3. So um, it's really, really fun. It is incredibly difficult as well. Um, probably not as difficult as, as Doki Doki because it at least makes sense. You know, it's at least a fair game <laughs> in that it's asking you to do incredibly, like, challenging levels, but not ones that are just random shit. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's incredibly challenging. The timing of everything, uh, the jumps are, are really, really tricky, but incredibly rewarding as well. I haven't used the, the suspension feature once. I've just been playing it properly all the way through. Oh, hell yeah. Um, without, no no cheating, no no um, freezing time. I'm just going all the way through. I've already progressed quite a bit. I'm on to, I'm on to World 6. Uh, I think there's 9, maybe World 7. Did I need to, yeah, World 7. Uh, of nine and then I know there's a few kind of special bonus worlds as well but yeah really really been enjoying that as a a fantastic uh, kind of pro version of the original Super Mario Brothers so that has been that has been a revelation and a a treat after the uh, playing the European Super Mario Brothers 2 so pleased I did play that Um, I also quickly jumped back onto Tetris 99 uh, because they were doing a special uh, 35th anniversary skin to go with it and you had to win, get like 100 points to get the skin so jumped in got my 100 points got my skin jumped out can leave that alone now until i'm gonna want to go back to tetris uh yeah but that's that's been the gaming for the week so lots lots of mario okay speaking of mario before i go on to my games i made a little purchase in the two weeks we were off on etsy.com um, there's something you, you might have heard about, maybe Joe, not so much. A PlayStation 5. <laughs> but if you listen to gaming podcasts or you follow gaming stuff online, you might have come across it. There's a store on Etsy. Um, let me set this up a little bit. Um, so I have physical copy, for example, Super Mario Odyssey, right? Mm. As well as my physical copies of my old games. But you know what's the thing that's missing from physical copies of games these days. The little instruction manual on the inside. So there's a guy on Etsy who makes instruction manuals for Switch games for like $10. And they're like real quality manuals. So I picked up a few of those um, because I'm anyway, I'm a sucker for little video game books anyway. Um, so I got one for Mario Odyssey, mm. one for 
uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, one for Zelda Link's Awakening, and I got one for Animal Crossing for uh, Natalia. But they also do a uh, Super Mario 3D All-Stars instruction manual. But I don't have that game, so I didn't get that. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, I'll see. I'll give the uh, the store a little shout out here if I can find it quickly. Uh, one second now. Go to the email and find it. Just in case anybody like me has a weird fascination with these. Uh, yeah, no, it sounds cool. These things. Um, yeah, MBP UK. Okay. Is the name of the store MBP UK on Etsy? Um, if you just search MBP UK Etsy, it'll be your first uh, your first result, and it's a UK based um, store as well. Mm. So, so you're supporting locally, and you can see pictures of the uh, the manuals there. How good! Oh they look. wow, these are very cool looking. They're cool, aren't they? and they're, you know, okay, it's an instruction manual. You usually wouldn't be expected to pay a lot of money for those. But, yeah, it's a little um, bespoke little thing. You can see in the reviews some uh, some more pictures of them. And so it, it, is, it is such a lost article because I'm looking here at the Zelda Link's Awakening one and, like, it's got, like, um, like little lore bits for the moves and the areas. Like, yeah, that's such a cool thing that I miss. That's That's, that's a really neat idea. Yeah, so give that a little shout out. I mean, I don't think they need it. They have uh, four thousand two hundred sales, so they're probably doing all right. But um, in case anyone like me out there is interested in the little, little weird things you come across on the internet, little um, memorabilia, mm. I thought that was a really cool thing. Um, but yeah, speaking of Mario, I'm I'm on the Mario Sunshine uh, trek now that Joe just uh, completed. Mm-hmm. This is my uh, my pre-Christmas game. So I'm looking to have it completed before Christmas because mm-hmm. I'm potentially going to have Watch Dogs Legion mm-hmm. playing. That'll be my Christmas game. And that, and that in itself, I want to have done before Hitman 3 comes out. Oh, and, you know, yeah. There's, a, there's a, a, a list of stuff I need to finish here. But um, started Mario Sunshine on maybe Tuesday of last week. I, whenever, I don't remember. I, I, in our little Twitter DM chat that the three of us have, I, 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 whenever I sent you guys that, that's when I started playing it. Mm. I've really only had maybe three proper like sessions where I've sat down and played it for at least an hour. I think the first one is probably two or three hours. But I'm up to 21 shines I think I think that was more around where Joe was the, at his first mm. check in. I'm under no illusion that I'm going to beat it as quickly as Joe did because, um, as you mentioned, Joe, it's it's not a game that really holds your attention for <laughs> for a very long time. Mm. Um, I I think I've pretty much completed the first level, uh, Bianco Hills, which is like. Okay, it's 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 nowhere near as iconic as you know, Bob on Battlefield or any of the any of like the first worlds from your classic Mario games. Even like Odyssey with Cap World. Like, okay, I beat that game three years ago now at this stage, and I still can remember vividly parts of that level. Bianco Hills is just such a bland level with 
like really unimaginative star or not stars shines but like and one thing i i found about it already because i've done i've done the um the eight normal shines i've done the two secret shines the hundred coin shine which mm. was a huge pain in the ass yeah uh, and I found 28 of the 30 blue coins, but I think I need Yoshi for the other two, so I haven't got Yoshi yet. And one thing I don't like about it is, is it's, it's first of all, because of the rush development, one thing that you find out very quickly is that you will be doing parts of this game more than once. Yeah. So you have, like, for, maybe my favorite part of the game is the platforming mini levels where you lose the flood and you just have to rely on your own. Yeah. skill but then you have to just do it again but just collect red coins this time oh, no. and you can have the flood so it's easier it's like well what's the point of that then i've already done the challenge part why do i have to just do exactly the same thing again that's something that mario 64 for all its faults never really relied on even when it had like rematch with koopa the quick or when you are racing the penguin on the slide again there would be changes to it to make it different right Literally, um, on the second level, which I don't remember what it's called, the one that just feels like a, a construction lot on a beach. <laughs> you, oh, yeah. You, fight, you have the blooper fight that yeah. you do twice. It's yeah. just literally the same fight in two different locations. Yeah. With a different hat on, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I was definitely let down in that regard. I think now 20 shines in, I'm finally coming to grips with how Mario controls in the game. I think it's definitely the worst Mario has ever controlled in any of his 3D adventures. Um, he's got a real lumbering movement um, when, like, someone's phone, I think, was over Brayton there, but we'll ignore that. Turn that um, off, Joseph. Not me. Might have been mine. Might have been mine. Yeah, um, <laughs> someone's phone. But like what what Mario does, any any slightest shift of the control stick, Mario goes off like dashing in that direction, mm. but then becomes immediately very slow. So it's a very weird sensation. Also, the absence of a long jump is not something that I can forgive. Um, that seems to have been replaced by the floods hover, but I'm so used to the long jump being an integral part of how I play those games. The fact that yeah. it's not there just feels so weird and alien. Um. And yeah, as you said, Joe, the reliance on so many of the shines being like, collect the coins. Yeah, collect these it's, coins in a different way. Oh, Ew. it's so annoying. Um, for for the first level to have, for all intents and purposes, four shines based around collecting the red coins mm. is like so overkill. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm 21 in, so let's say I'm one-sixth of the way done. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely don't love it. It doesn't <laughs> control super well. Um, the level design is really bland and forgettable. The coin, even, even in terms of the hundred coins, like the way they're scattered around the level isn't done. Even that's not done in an interesting way. Mm. Um, and so much of it was, do you know, um, there's parts of, of that first level where you have like a ring of flowers that you need to water. Yeah. Open all, all the same time. Yeah. But like, sometimes they'll be on a hill and, and you just have to find the exact spot to stand in mm -hmm. or and spin around or it won't work. Oh, I found that such a pain and not in a, in a, in a, like 
it was specifically in the way of I, I understand how I'm supposed to do this. I'm trying to do it, but the game's design will not allow me. <laughs> it's not because I'm not doing it right. Because I would, I would eventually get it and go, oh, I just got it. Yeah. But I didn't do anything differently. It would just eventually would work. Um, it's quite annoying. Um, if I say good things about it, like I said, I like those mini levels where it, it is a bit more like classic Mario platforming. Um, the music is quite good. I do like the music of it. I hate the design of the the NPCs in it, the little... Oh, the, the elephant people? people. The little, oh, the, weird. So, what are they called? Dookie Pookies or something? The, the fucking uh, guy from the Cantina Band. <laughs> Max Rebo. Um, yeah. Um, some of the shines are, are quite clever, but... They're not in the majority this time, unfortunately. Um, so I'll make my way through that. Hopefully I have that finished before Christmas. One thing I did finish was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Uh, that's, that's done. Didn't quite get the platinum on it because I played through the campaign and that was enough for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, it, it was like two games worth of content. I probably beat it like six or seven hours. I don't need my Tony Hawk game to be 20, 30 hours long. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically. So while there are other challenges and stuff you can do, um, which just reach arbitrary levels of difficulty, mm. I only want my I only went into it going, I'm gonna play the story mode. Not really even the story mode, the whatever it's called. Career. No story uh, Career skate mode. Tour. Yeah, skate tour. Beat that and then I'm done. So I did that. Had a really fun time with it. Loved the levels. Conversely, it's Super Mario Sunshine. Great level design. Great um, scattering of the collectibles in that. Unlike Mario Sunshine. Um, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. That's an absolutely fantastic game. If people have good memories of Tony Hawk, definitely worth a pick up. Uh, especially for me that I'd never played one or two. So it was brand new to me. Uh, and I would definitely enjoy a three and four if they're uh, going to be working on that. Uh, and then onto the Switch. Um, picked up Super Liminal again, mm. and I'm really making progress. I'm about halfway through the game now. Super Liminal, for those who don't remember, is a first-person first puzzle game in the style of a portal or a Stanley Parable, to the point that it kind of comes off as a rip-off of those games. But it is good, on, you know, on its own merit. I think the puzzles are are better than not better than Portals, but definitely better than Stanley Parables. But then the point of Stanley Parable is isn't really to be a puzzles game. It's more about the humor of the game. Um, Super Liminal has some really really clever puzzles. I think it's I think it's not quite as good at, at as Portal at being a puzzle game, but it's not far off. Um, you have puzzles based around perspective which is the the first kind of clever thing you come across um like it's very much the father ted cows are small right but if you pick up that small cow and you hold it real close to your eye then it becomes a real big cow and you, you can do that with items in the game so if you you'll see there's like a ledge that you can't jump up to using just a jump button because it's too high and so you'll pick up like a dice and look up with the dice and then you let go of the dice and it becomes this like huge five foot by five foot dice that you can jump onto and then jump onto the ledge. So it does fun stuff with perspective uh, like that. And also, do you know those art installations you see sometimes where someone has 
drawn um a chair but it's like stretched out along the floor and you can from one angle it looks yeah. like there's a chair there yeah the game has a lot of that where an item will only become accessible if you find it in the room by looking at a certain angle right um and i had I, without spoiling in case you guys want to play this sometime because i don't think it's a very expensive game either it's probably no more than i don't know ten dollars but um there's one room that has like three of those in a row and the uh the puzzles are like interlocking so you see like the cube on the wall that you need to get but there's like a bit of the paint is cut off because something has to go in front of that first so you need to find first the object you need to find the object in the room by looking at, at, at the right perspective to find that object to then put in the right place so that you can then see the second object from the right, right. perspective. So it's very, very clever. And it, none of this is like frustrating or anything. I was stuck on it for like 10 minutes, but once I worked it out, I was very satisfied. And then later levels have a kind of Titanfall 2 feel in the sense, not that you're running on walls or anything, but that it changes the formula right. drastically from level to level. So I thought the whole game was going to be like perspective puzzles, but that kind of gets old quickly. And by the time it does, the, ga- the game has given Switched you a new thing to play right. with. And so it keeps it. It's a short enough game. I think it's probably only going to end up being like maybe three, four hours long. But I would give it a big thumbs up. I'd give it a, a definite recommendation. I, I don't know why, but when I started playing it the first time, I only played the first level. There's like nine levels in it. And the levels are maybe like 25, 20 minutes long. Um, and I only played the first one, and then I stopped playing it. I, I, I Maybe I just got distracted by something else. But then since I picked it up yesterday, I'm, I'm on like the sixth level now. So I'm really making progress through it. Um, that game is really great. Uh, I'm still playing Hyrule Legends Definitive Edition. I'm probably about three quarters of the way through that now. Um, that's still you know a game that I'm really enjoying. I will say, however... If, if it were not for the Zelda tie-in and for how much of a Zelda, excuse me, a Zelda fan I am, I'm definitely getting a little bit tired of the of the uh, Dynasty Warrior formula. Yeah. Where every level is just fight thousands of people. Like, because it's a Zelda game, it has certain Zelda-themed objectives that tie into stories from the games. And so it had another orig- original ones, but because of that, it has a draw to keep me playing. But if it were just a story that I had no prior, you know, engagements with, I I probably would have given up by now. <laughs> but on its own two feet, as a Zelda tie-in, I think it definitely works. And I'm I'm still playing. I'm making making my way through it. Like Tony Hawk's, uh, I'm probably only going to play the like story mode. I don't know if I'll dip into the the challenge modes, or the adventure modes, because like I say, I have other games that I want to get onto. But um. Yeah, enjoying enjoying what I'm playing, and we'll leave it at that. But yeah, play super liminal if you're uh, in the mood for a, a, a cheap four hour, really clever puzzle game. Yeah, uh, I think that's probably out on PS4 as well. If people have that, I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, okay, we have ten million movies to get to here. Uh, Let me count them quickly. We have one, two, three. 
18 movies Jesus. to review today. Um, right. I will burn through mine really quick because <laughs> I've seen basically all of these before and they've been talked about extensively on this show. Uh, so uh, uh, on the non-Christmas front, uh, rewatch Batman Begins and Dark Knight. Uh, both really good. Uh, I don't think I could really pick between them, but upon a rewatch, I really do think it's perfectly fair. Say Begins is the actual best one. I think that's fair. Um, because they're both excellent. Uh, Men in Black, uh, like the most like watchable, just put it on movie probably of all time. Uh, not especially great, but a, a, a fun enough romp. And like does not look bad in 2020, actually, like effects wise. Not amazing, but it doesn't look bad. Uh, well, they say black don't crack. Tommy Lee Jones is still in it. The name of the movie is Men in Black. Oh, oh, wow. I thought you were making a very weird Will Smith. Well done, it's, it's 1998 him. I don't understand. I didn't understand what you were saying. <laughs> I was like, of course he doesn't look old. It was 20 years ago when it was made. It's okay. You've been busy lately. It's fine. Oh, my head. Anyway. Um, the only uh, so with, before I get into the Christmas stuff, the only movie I haven't seen here before that I watched was Talladega Nights, uh, the fall, okay. of the, the whatever it is of Ricky Bobby, the uh, Will Ferrell joint. Um, I, I kind of I think kind of the quintessential Will Ferrell movie in that overall the ballad of Ricky Bobby, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. That was it. Um, overall, I liked it, but there was probably just as many scenes where I felt like, okay, wrap it up as there were scenes that I actually really liked. Um, everything is like at least 30 seconds too long. Everything is is kind of... <laughs> not everything, but there's an awful lot of like immature humor where there, there isn't anything to it other than the fact that, you know, someone just farted or is talking about their willy. Um, like, and that's fine but all of those scenes also go like 30 seconds too long it's the classic it's the classic Feral thing but it's not bad I think it's I think it's pretty funny Sasha Baron Cohen is, is amusing in it Feral is good as he always is uh, John C. Riley is, is very good as he always is not not, not the best not the worst um, uh, right smack in the middle of his uh, his body of work I would say and then I watch a load of Christmas movies because it's getting to them mistletoe and wine um, uh, rewatched Krampus, which I think I kind of enjoy Krampus more every time I watch it. I think it's a real, uh, a real grower, um, and a very solid inclusion in the Christmas rotation. Watched Die Hard because Ron hadn't seen it before. I couldn't believe that. Um, uh, still great, still a classic. Uh, Elf, uh, you know, Elf is kind of like Talladega Nights in the sense that. It's uh, overall, I would say it's good, but there's, oh, in my old age, I just kind of want, I just want to turn it down a little bit, just in a couple of scenes, just turn it down for me a bit. Uh, come on now, don't don't be as loud and for as long, please. Um, At least in Elf, that's like the character. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, that's the bit. Um, and it's kind of funny because despite the fact that it's not his career I kind of watch it and think he probably should have been in more kids movies over the years realistically because he has that Jim Carrey quality to him um, but uh, yeah so watch that you know again that's a, a lovely um, um, uh, festive favourite uh, The Santa Claus um, which I always forget how much I dislike it when the little flying elves show up at the end um, they are so annoying and they do quips 
Um, and they're like, hey, we're not to be messed with. Oh, kid actors. Oh, shut up. Uh, but yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, but no, it is it is good to, to it's still good. It's still, a, a, you know, a, a mainstay of the season. Uh, but yeah, so that's all I watched. I mean, I didn't really watch anything new um, uh, this uh, this week or this past fortnight, rather. So that's my that's my movies. I got a, just a few. Um, so last last week, or sorry, the week before, as it was Thanksgiving, uh, we watched a few um, movies that Michelle picked. Mm. She picked a couple of uh, Mexican American classics. Um, the first one was a movie called Stand and Deliver, which starred. Oi, oi. Okay, which starred. Edward James Olmos, a kind of legendary Mexican-American actor, he plays a school teacher in a kind of rough uh, Los Angeles high school with a bunch of like Mexican kids who are kind of in gangs and shit, and they don't want to learn maths and algebra because that's sad. And um, he kind of turns them around and and um, teaches them all algebra, and they're all loving it. They're all they're doing equations and shit, and they're going, yeah. This is great. We love this. And um, it's actually based on a true story of a real teacher who um, did this in, a, in an L.A. school and managed to get all of his kids uh, to pass like advanced kind of algebra class. And it was quite fun. It was a bit kind of dangerous mindsy with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, but uh, yeah, good, good movie. I mean, they watched Selena, which is a biopic that stars Jennifer Lopez as uh, Selena who was a very, very famous uh, Mexican-American singer who was coming to fame in the kind of late 90s. Um, she, she became big in Mexico, even though she was from Texas, but became big in Mexico and was about to kind of cross over into um, the US um, before she was killed um, by a mad woman. Um, so kind of tell this and the movie came out just a couple of years after this happened. I think it was it was very quick turnaround. Um, but yeah, Jennifer Lopez is in it. She's quite early on in, in her career and I, she doesn't have that kind of J-Lo presence that, that she had in like um, Hustlers, for example. Um, and the movie itself uh, kind of glosses over the, the darker parts or the more interesting parts. It just mm. sort of shows her rising to fame. So it was it was an interesting movie. But um, yeah, I think there, there's something uh, that more that could be done with that. And apparently there is a TV series out now. I think it's on Prime on Netflix. Um, but yeah, an in- interesting story nonetheless. So that was good. Uh, and then this past weekend, we watched uh, Mank, the new David Fincher film. Oh, yeah. On Netflix, which is about a screenwriter called Herman Mankiewicz who uh, was the man who wrote Citizen Kane. And so it's basically a, a, a biopic of him and the time he spent uh, writing Citizen Kane. Um, it's filmed very kind of faithfully in that sort of 1940s, late 30s kind of Hollywood style. So it's done in black and white. The sound is like in mono. There's no sound mix. So it's all just recorded on one track. Um, the way it's kind of cut together and, and the staging and everything is is completely faithful to that era, which is kind of interesting. It did remind me a little bit of like the artist, for example, where it's just someone who's very very in love with the kind of old Hollywood and wants to recreate it really faithfully. And, and it's it, it borders on kind of parody at points, 
um, with how kind of faithfully it, it recreates those old movies. Um, but it was it was it was quite fun. Um, Gary Oldman plays plays the kind of main main character and, and does it very well. Some really good um, supporting uh, actors. Amanda Seyfried is in it. Charles Dance from uh, Your Game of Thrones is in it as well. Um, I, it's worth a watch, but um, I wouldn't say it's it's anything kind of blow away. It'll probably do well. I don't know what they're doing with the Oscars next year. Whether that's going ahead. Yeah. Um, if it is, then this will this will win a lot because <laughs> it is perfect Oscar bait. It's about Hollywood. It's black yeah, and white. Movies, movies about yeah. movies getting made. Movies about movies getting made, yeah. So, and that was good. And then after that, we watched um, Citizen Kane. I don't know if you've heard of that, but that's the movie that was in the movie. Um, mm. And that is, that is good. Citizen Kane is good. I don't know how much more to elaborate on that. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny and really nice cinematography. And they've got uh, there's a sled in it as well. Ah, which, which come, becomes important at the end. <laughs> Just keep an eye on don't that. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. So, uh, yeah, that was that was the viewing for, for this week. What do you make, Joe, of the... Uh, do we call it a conspiracy theory Ooh. that Mank is based on that, that, that says that uh, Orson Welles didn't have much to, to do with the writing of Citizen Kane? Well... Do you lend, your, do you lend that any credibility? Or? Potentially... It's interesting because I was reading um, something David Fincher was interviewed for, and he was kind of talking a bit about Wells and his, he, you know, his respect for him, but also the fact that, you know, coming off of Orson Wells as his like first film, uh, I think it's Twenty One or whatever, <laughs> and how arrogant yeah. Wells was about how, yo, he'd mastered film and he made this amazing movie and everything, and it was kind of like, yeah, but he did have some great people working with him, you know, on the screenplay, doing the cinematography and everything. And if you look at Wells' subsequent body of work, doesn't necessarily live up to Citizen Kane. So I don't know, maybe something in it. Maybe. maybe. We'll never know because he's dead anyway. We'll never know. Oh, the screenplays I wrote. Um, I watched some movies as well. I what? suppose I better talk about them. Better. Uh, I'm back on the old alphabetized uh, film watching. Remember I was doing that months and months and months ago? Um, How far uh, Basically, <laughs> I got up to uh, K <laughs> and now I'm up to Q. Um, so yeah, the, the point of this is I, I own too many films that I've never watched. So in an effort to watch them finally, I made myself an arbitrary list from starting with a film that begins with A, then a film that begins with B, and so on, just to finally watch some of them. Mm. Uh, so I watched L through Q, and now I will talk about them. So I watched L.A. Confidential, first of all, uh, starring Kim Basinger, starring Guy Pierce, Kevin Spacey, and Russell Crowe. And in particular, those last two are the best two in the film, Guy Pearce and uh, Russell Crowe. They're kind of the two uh, breakout stars, because I think both of them were relatively unknown uh, at the time this film was made. Guy Pearce would, of course, go on to be in Memento. Russell Crowe would go on to uh, beat up people in hotels with phones. (laughs) Um, But yeah, LA Confidential is a, a really authentic feeling like modern noir slash detective story. Um, 
bit of a bit of a slow builder, but you know, by the end it definitely gets its hooks into you and it's it's really, really uh well paced, really, really well written. As I said, the two kind of performances uh are really, really top notch, especially that they were kind of just coming into um the mainstream. Uh, really, really impressed by it. Unfortunately, there is a diddler in it, so whenever he's on screen, <laughs> look away. <laughs> look out the window whenever he's on. Um, uh, but yeah, I thought it was... Re- oh, um, also, favourite of mine, James Cromwell is in it. Um, don't know if he's any relation to the lad who uh, kicked us all out of our houses back in the... <laughs> 18, whatever that was. Um but uh, he's great. He's great in it. But he's got he's, he speaks with a wacky Irish accent in it, and he says "boyo," and he says "Ireland" like "oh, Ireland," like, like no Irish person ever would actually say it. But God love him, I could listen to him talk like that for years. It's just a fun voice to listen to. He's great in it as well, as you would expect. Um, so yeah, big big recommendation on that one. I mean, it's a film from twenty three years ago. But if, like me, you've for some reason never seen it, uh, go out of your way. It's really fantastic, especially if you like uh, noirs or neo-noirs or anything along those lines. Really, really top-notch. Um, I watched Midnight Special for the M. Uh, Midnight Special is a film directed by, I think, Jim Nichols. Let me just double-check that. Uh, Yes, Jeff Nichols, excuse me. The, he also directed a little film that I like called Take Shelter, which also stars Michael Shannon. He's in Midnight Special. And Midnight Special is a story about a man who has to take a little boy who's got like special powers and that okay. uh, out of the grips of the government and a cult who are also chasing him down. Um that sounds like an exciting story. Actually, the film is really slow and um, almost to the point of being boring, um, but just on the right side of it, just on the right side of it, it is very, very slow. And although it might sound, if, if someone were to describe to you things that happen in it, even those things that happen are done in a very understated way. Understated is maybe a better word for it than like slow or... Or boring. Or boring or shit. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, Michael Shadden is very good in it, as you would expect. Mm. Um, Joel Edgerton is in it as well. He's also very good. Uh, and also, uh, the lad from Star Wars is in it, Adam Driver. Um, and so I would not as highly recommend it. I don't think it's... It, it's good. It's not great by any stretch. It's maybe like a six or a seven out of ten. I think it was a little too slow for me. But um, performance-wise, it's very good. Also, fantastic looking. Um, even the most mundane shots, like the colors, like pop off the screen. I thought it was really, really great looking. Good, good use of lighting to uh, really emphasize the colors that are there. Um, but yeah, overall, I was a little underwhelmed with it. And now we get on to the loads of good movies in a row. Uh, portion of the reviews uh, North by Northwest directed by old Al Hitchcocky uh, again I don't know how I kind of never got around to seeing North by Northwest but I hadn't 
it's really brilliant. <laughs> um, while I think I might have spoiled it a little bit, not like plot wise or anything, but just by having already seen Vertigo and Psycho, which are you know Hitchcock's two best films, some might say. Um, I, I definitely think it's a little, little bit underneath those two. I think Psycho is is like perfect. And although Vertigo, I didn't like as much Psycho, I think Vertigo, for the type of film it is, is is up there as well. North by Northwest is interesting because um, Cary Grant in it plays the lead in a very similar way to how Roger Moore plays James Bond. And I wonder if Roger Moore was inspired in any way by North by Northwest when, when he did his Bond performances because there's a lot of similarities in the way he gives his little like dry witty you know one-liners like there's one-liners in the film that don't come off maybe as cheap as as James Bond's do but the way he delivered them was very similar to how Moore would go on to do his so I wonder if there was some inspiration there um for those who have seen North by Northwest the uh the the climax of the movie takes place on Mount Rushmore and is one of the like even watching it today one of the all-time best like action set pieces and action locations combined it's just brilliant um so yeah it, it, it it's kind of a, a a mystery film as a lot of Hitchcocks are uh, it's 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 a ma- it's kind of a a man who is is a victim of like a mistaken identity and so he's being chased uh, by various groups for uh, for being thought of as being someone that he actually is not or is he or what's going on who are these people that's kind of the drive of the movie it's uh it's really great of course it has that one scene where um a plane shoots at him in the cornfield which probably if you've not seen north by northwest you probably at least recognize that which is kind of my my story going into it um yeah, I give that the old nine out of ten. Thought it was really great. Wow. Uh, then we had in a subsection of the really good movie section. This is the foreign movie part. <laughs> um, I watched Old Boy for the first time. I don't know if either of you have seen Old Boy. No, neither version. Yeah. Speak now if you have. No. Um, well, I watched the Korean version, obviously, not the uh, Spike Lee one. No. Um, yeah, what do I what do I even say about old boy? Um, old boy, I thought going into it that it would be a lot more action heavy than it is. There's actually not a lot of action in it. Mm. It's actually reminded me more, in a way, of the sensation I had watching The Ring, the Japanese one. Um, in in the way that I thought that also that that would be, I thought The Ring was going to be more straight horror, but actually. The Ring is more of like a thriller, a psychological thriller, and kind of so is Old Boy. So in a sense, I thought I felt, both movies I thought were going to be one thing, and actually they were another thing. Um, so while it doesn't necessarily feel like The Ring in any other sense, that was the sensation I had watching. I was like, oh, this is how I felt watching The Ring. Um, yeah, it's a tremendously original story, as a lot of these Korean films are. Um, I think I've only seen one other film by this director, a film called Stoker, which was a an American film which came out 
I think in 2013. Yeah, which is really so good. good. Yeah. Um, and while this didn't have like the whimsy of like a parasite or or any of the the Bong Joon Ho movies I've seen or something like The Last Stand or The Good, The Bad, and The Weird or any of the other Korean films that I've seen, it was definitely less <laughs> less whimsical in those films. It uh, it was as original as those films tend to be. Um, yeah, Koreans. <laughs> I think I've said before very. Um, in a very uh, look at me and how I know about films and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Korean film, Korean cinema is real good, <laughs> and Old Boy was no exception. Um, the performances in it were really top notch. The story takes so many unexpected twists and turns, like Parasite. If if you've seen that one, um, very dark, very very dark stuff in this film. More so than absolutely more so than your parasites of the world mm. uh big big thumbs big big recommendation it's it's quite messed up it's quite fucked up but it's uh it's a hell of a movie i'll say that much really really great uh and then moving on to polytechnique which is a film by our old friend from canada denis villeneuve oh. this is I think the last French language movie he made Okay. before he made moved on to like your enemies and your prisoners of the world. Mm. Um, Polytechnique tells the true story of a school shooting at a, at an Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal, which is where the name of the film comes from, uh, which is like a, like an Institute. Do you know the way we have like Institute of, of uh, education? basically. Um, And it is very short. It's only, I think, 70 minutes long. It's a very, very short film in contrast to Prisoners and Blade Runner, which are like nearly three hours long. And it is, it's uh, in black and white, like Mank, (laughs) which Joe talked about, which makes kind of the reality of the situation even more stark and less sensationalized because it's very violent um but because you don't see the the red of the blood it gives like off a different effect but is no less jarring um great sound as well like <laughs> without getting into like glorifying the violence you know when there's a gunshot it's very loud and so you like i almost experienced the same sensation you would of a jump scare from a horror movie i don't know it was quite a jump scare but definitely i was like shocked and had that same like you know your hairs go up you're like on edge watching it um what i will say is the version of polytechnique that i have and this is also going to sound very fucking snooty so i apologize but i bought it in france and it's only in french with french subtitles but there's not much dialogue in it so I would say if if you came across somehow, or I wouldn't advise you how to do it, but if you came across a version of it without subtitles, uh, I think you could still watch it and you know, understand what's going on. A lot of the dialogue in it is very mundane as well. Um, like the first scene is like girls at a printer and they're saying like, oh, print the other side of this one for me. Oh, do you have the money for it? Yeah, here you go. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's like normal day school dialogue and that's of course you know setting the scene for how this was just a normal day can happen on any day but good news is that 
actually today, as as a coincidence, Polytechnic has been released on Blu-ray by the BFI, and I think it's out today. So if you are interested to purchase Polytechnic, you may well now have the option, um, which I didn't before, and that's why I bought that stupid French copy. I didn't have no idea what was going on at some <laughs> points, even though I speak French. Um, but yeah, Polytechnic, I went the big old 10 on, the only 10 I gave this week, and I watched North by Northwest and Old Boy. Um, I was really impressed by it. I think Villeneuve is really great at, you know, visually setting a tone. And um, I think the movie does, towards the very end, drift a little bit. But uh, the majority of it, the meat of it, is very, very good. Very, very effective. Big thumbs up on that. Uh, And then I watched the movie. This this is the, uh, I never heard of this movie before, but let's give it a go. Uh, quiz show. Have either of you heard of Quiz Show? I yes. Don't think I've heard of that one either. Review. I reviewed it before. I think. Oh, you've seen it, Joe. Even better. Oh, yeah. Quiz Show. Uh, I don't. I don't actually own a film starting with Q that I've not seen. I only. I only own one film that starts starts with Q, and it's Quantum of Solace. And I'm not oh, watching that. Jesus. Well, now I'm not shy again. Oh God! Take your um, chance with the quiz movie. But Quiz Show is uh, a film that was nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars and lost out to Forrest Gump in 1995. Um, Great cast. It has a very young, fresh-faced Ray Fiennes, uh, John Turturro, doing what I would consider uh, a good Adam Sandler performance. You know how Adam Sandler does those good Adam Sandler performances? John Turturro did that before Adam Sandler did it. He plays the character like Adam Sandler would in one of his good performances. He's, which is to say he's great in it. Um, yeah, it tells, it tells again the true story of the uh, 21, which was a quiz show in the 50s, I think, in the US. Mm. Uh, one of the first like televised quiz shows that everyone was watching and the contestants on it were nearly like celebrity level um by virtue of you know there wasn't many <laughs> there wasn't much on tv those days um to the point that the network nbc started to choreograph a little bit things Ooh, to a, their own benefit it's a and, work brother and and the fallout from that um yeah ray fines for as young as he is it is very good in it as well as uh john Turturro. um and then you, oh, what's the guy's name? Chris, Chris McDonald. Is that his name? The guy from uh, Happy Gilmore, the like villain from Happy Gilmore. Mm. He's in it as the like quiz show host. Perfect casting. Oh, chef's kiss. Um, yeah, I, I watched the trailer for it for some reason before I watched the film, which I usually would not do, but I watched the trailer and the trailer made it look like the worst uh, Oscar bait Oh, look at our film. And you know, if you've ever seen a 90s film of that ilk, do you know that like happy violin y score that all <laughs> 90s films had? Yeah. Like that might play, I don't know if it does, but like the kind of thing that might play over like the climax of Mrs. Doubtfire, that kind of thing. <laughs> that plays in the trailer. And I was like, oh my God, this looks like the worst film. But actually, it was really compelling and really good. Yeah. So never trust the trailer is the end of this, this is the story, folks. 
Um, towards the end, it gets a little bit schmaltzy, but I thought it was a really compelling story. I was really into it. As much as it almost sets a benchmark for what Oscar Beatty movies would go on to be, it definitely felt less transparent and less fake, which is ironic for what it's about. But it felt like people making a real movie about a real thing rather than, you know, we'll make a movie about Stephen Hawkins because the Oscars love a wheelchair. And he'll do, you know, <laughs> it, it felt, it felt more of a, a real effort. And I thought it was really great. I, I, I thought it was a really uh, nice surprise. Mm-hmm. So I gave a big thumbs up to quiz show. Recommend that one. And then finally we watched uh, to close off. Ooh, excuse me, close off movie guff, but also close off my 1990s Twin Peak watching. We watched Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and also watched Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, The Missing Pieces, which is an hour and a half of extra footage, which was um, recorded for the movie because David Lynch, like he does for a lot of his projects, recorded like, or filmed, I should say, like five hours of footage to use for his film. Which was then edited down to like two hours fifteen. Um, I will say, while I appreciate that, what made the cut of the film ultimately was you know David Lynch's choice and David Lynch's vision. I preferred the context that the deleted scenes give, um, and I, I would say the optimal version of it would be an edit that included those pieces, even though the film would be like four hours long. I think when you strip the, when you strip them out, um, and this is my experience watching the movie at the first time as it exists, it feels very choppy. Um, certain things don't make sense, which you have to accept going into a David Lynch movie anyway, but then you watch the missing pieces and certain things get set up and certain things, not necessarily get explained but context is given to stuff that you then say okay i now get what that scene was trying to say um uh the film was panned when it first came out obviously because people who had watched twin peaks uh were expecting or wanted a follow-up to the series and of course david lynch being david lynch made a prequel instead um (laughs) So they would have been disappointed. I would say also, if you watch this movie, having not seen any of the series, you would have no idea what's going on. It's so directly, intrinsically linked to the series that it would be impossible. I don't think it would stand on its own feet as a film at all. Uh, It felt to me very much like an extended um, rated R episode. (laughs) Like to me, the tone of... The original Twin Peaks was still there. Uh, even though one of the main characters was recast, they were very good. I didn't have any problem with that. Um, the story itself, very dark, um, very twisted, as you know, the show <laughs> is at certain points. Uh, I don't think it was any necessarily more extreme than the more extreme parts of the show, um, except for the fact that suddenly, you know, in the show, everyone is very... Uh, soft in their discussion about how there's like Laura, Laura Palmer. I'm not spoiling anything here, but that you know Laura Palmer and certain other characters who were involved with like cocaine and stuff. 
here you have everyone just fucking doing cocaine and talking about did you get me to fucking blow and this and that okay that that's the only thing that's maybe a little bit jarring also there's suddenly f-bombs and nudity in it but the tone and the like horror aspects of it i thought were kind of on level with the peaks of like the series um i did enjoy it i definitely can see how people would not enjoy it or would hate it i can see that uh i did enjoy it because i'm a big twin peaks fan so i'm, I'm going into it with a bias that i'm expecting to enjoy it anyway and also the understanding of what it is versus expecting it to be a sequel to the series which i know it isn't um yeah it's a little bit messy the the david lynchy stuff that's there is very good uh, i particularly like like the first 30 minutes which are a different story completely starring chris isaac and uh Kiefer sutherland i could just watch a movie about them playing detectives that stuff was great um but yeah, yeah it's, it's a little bit messy but it was good and is that our movies that's the movies yes oh my god we had such a busy uh, two weeks no one's allowed to watch any movies between now and sunday all right that's a deal <laughs> you can watch one movie all right one movie each that's making a good one all right uh do you let's have emails you want to read i don't yes i have an email <clears throat> it's from uh, michelle escobar oh she says subject pick three actresses mm-hmm. um, she says hi joe I th- I thought I'd send in a pick three. Uh, they are Diane Keaton, Goldie Horn, and Bette Midler. Uh, obviously, you get the first Wives Club with any of the choices. Bit worried you guys haven't seen enough of their films, though. I definitely yeah, haven't. Yeah, definitely haven't. Um, so this is, this is an interesting one. I think I was looking through Diane Keaton's kind of. Uh, filmography. Obviously, she starts off strong with uh, Godfather and Godfather, <laughs> yeah. Godfather Part Two, um, but then it's kind of just a lot of Woody Allen films. Like it seems like she mainly did Woody Allen films until the nineties, right? Uh, then Father of the Bride, and that's that's about it, really. So I think you're pretty much going on the Godfather and the few, you know, sort of good Woody Allen films she was in. I'm looking at her filmography now. I think I've only ever seen her in The Godfather. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. Yeah. Um, Bette Midler, eh, good, good 80s movies, Hocus Pocus, uh, Get Shorty. Other than that, eh, not a huge amount. Oh, I saw I saw Diane Keaton in Finding Dory. She apparently was in. Uh, then that movie wasn't that good. Uh, Bette Midler. I might have never seen Bette Midler in a film. <laughs> I've not even seen Hocus Pocus. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, come on. Oh, this is not good. Um, no, I don't think I've ever seen her. Really. I I think for me, Goldie Hawn has. She was in some good kind of 80s comedies, Private Benjamin, Wildcats Overboard, Bird on a Wire. She was also in Death Becomes Her, which is one of my uh, favorites. So I would go for Goldie Horn. 
who um, still looking great at the ripe old age of seventy five. Just done, just done the Christmas Chronicles two with Kurt Russell. I mean, you can't go wrong, can't go wrong with that. So uh, I'm going to pick Goldie Horn. I think the only thing I've ever seen Bette Midler in was the episode of The Simpsons where she played herself. Do you want to pick her based on that? <laughs> I might have to. <laughs> yeah, if you don't pick her, Goldie Horn, all of The Simpsons. Hmm. Uh, Goldie Hawn. Oh, this is not looking good. No, I've never seen, <laughs> never seen a Goldie Hawn film. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I need to watch those Christmas Chronicles. She's apparently in both of them. Yeah, I, I, some people say those are pretty good. I mean, they've got they're directed by Columbus, so you know, maybe they're not bad. Um, I, well, I'm gonna have to go find Keaton for The Godfather. I, I'll, I'll have to abstain. I haven't seen anything really from any of these people. Okay. Over, over to you, Paul, on the emails. Oh, I have an email. Hang on. It's from Michelle, and it's about Gilmore Girls. Let me open it up. Um, boo, 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 boo. Gilmore Girls song. Hi, Paul. I was wondering if you've watched the season one episode where Suki sings... Dean and the Rory and the love and the cookies. <laughs> if you don't know what this sounds like, I nominate Joe to sing it as an example. The Dean and the love and the Rory and the cookies and the Dean and the love and the Rory and the cookies. She says, I love that bit. And even though it only happens that once, do you have any bits so far you're a fan of? Thanks, Michelle. I don't remember this bit of the episode. I, I have watched it because I think it's, in the first like yeah. eight or nine episodes. Yeah. Um, I even went back to see if I could find it. Cause I remembered the episode where she gave him the cookies. Cause mm. didn't they mention that he was allergic to something or did I dream that? that? I don't remember, but I remember the episode. I, I tried to find the song. I couldn't find it. I tried, I tried to find it on YouTube. It's not on YouTube. So I did my best. Joe sang it for me there. Anyway, that's very good. Um, any bits so far, I'm a fan of, well, my favorite running bit that Natty and I do, she's asleep now, so she won't mind me saying this, is um, we never skip the intro, because we watch on Netflix, we never skip the intro, and we sing the intro together every episode uh, as like a duet, and it says, uh, I will follow anywhere and then Natty goes into like a baby falsetto which I love and then we laugh that's um, so that's my favorite bit but that's not really a bit that's just a bit that we've like created into a bit Um, favorite bit so far I don't know. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know if I have have anything like that. God, I've struggled to think of anything. It's been like two weeks since I watched an episode of it, so <laughs> nothing's been away. Actually, we watched we watched one episode since you came back, which was the three month anniversary one. Um, keep an eye out for bits. When you watch it, I will definitely keep an eye for bits. I do like that Lane has like a secret like bedroom in her bedroom in the closet. Oh, yeah. oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's something that I I probably would have loved to have as a kid, yeah, yeah. just like a secret world. 
Um, and oh, I also like the bit where I point out that Rory has like a baby's head, like her forehead is super big. <laughs> She's got like her facial features are very babyish, they're like very cherubic. Um, no, I don't have any specific bits. The show is really good overall, and we sing the intro. That's it. Thanks, Michelle. Well, let's uh, talk about wrestling finally. <laughs> let's go to beds. <laughs> um, yeah, so Winter is Coming was this week. Did we all watch it? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. What kind of question is that? Uh, well, Let's have a chit-chat about it then. I mean, obviously, the big news was the main event with um, John Moxley versus Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship. Gentlemen, what did we make of the match, the result, and the ensuing mayhem uh, after the fact? I, th- I thought it was a good match. Um, mm. Not kind of mind-blowing, but just really, really good. Um, started off quite slow, but I like it did build up. You know, I had a nice crescendo. So I was I was pleased with the match. You should never know. Like I, their last match, the the hardcore one, whatever it was, lights out thing. I, I that found that incredibly boring. Yeah, Str- struggled to watch that. But this this was just a really good, really solid kind of wrestling match. What, what did you make of it? Match? I yeah, I I thought it was kind of flat early on. Um, I think they were obviously trying to do the match of two halves thing, where it was like Moxley was was brawling around with him, and then and then it very much felt like they were having a Kenny match. Um, yeah. And I thought that part was excellent. Um, you know, I thought they were they were um, working really hard, and it was really really good. Um, yeah, and the finish felt really flat for me for a couple of reasons. Um, I really hate whenever there's a like a whenever the heels do a scheme and to to like make off with a belt and the first the first step in the scheme is you're going to get killed on the floor and everyone's going to be worried you're dead and then I'm going to come join you at ringside because I think you're dead. I hate when that's the beginning of the plan. <laughs> um yeah and just it was too for a promotion that doesn't do it too often and and i and i that's what i like about them there was too much okay he's down okay the refs are down okay callus is here they're, they're back in the ring oh mox is gonna let him get oh no he's gonna come out and get him oh, oh my callus is trying to get the mic working the mic won't work but if wado bets the shmi then wait what qui-gon puts the ship forwards um <laughs> Um, yeah, too, too, too much. Even, even if the core idea, because I, I had a feeling in my gut based on the the promo that Kenny was going to use some variety of weapon to win. Mm-hmm. Um, that seemed like the story, but Don Callis and oh, he pushed off him that oh, the mic gets up with the ring somehow. Oh, too much, too much for me. Well, see now, I disagree, and this is maybe a good time for explain. And no, we don't got time. We don't have time to do it. Um, but I thought, first of all, I thought it was like, <laughs> first of all, I thought it was like Moxie's best match in AW. Oh, um, yeah. Um, and the finish, I thought, okay, look, I, I, I don't fully disagree with Barry, but 
to play devil's advocate, you know, the plan could have been there will be an opportunity for Callus to come down. It's, you know, at some point during the match, he was just like, oh, I'll come down at some point. You know, we'll figure out I'll, 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 there'll be some kind of thing will happen. I'll come down there. You know, it, the plan was not necessarily Omega will get knocked out. He'll come down. You know, you be flexible. They're clever guys. They got brains. You know, galaxy brain wrestlers. Um, and then the ending where they run away like scolded dogs, which Jim Ross. Gave us the golden line, by the way. They're running away like goddamn scouted dogs, which I popped for. Um, They then gave us a cliffhanger, which is like interesting, legitimately interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering where will it go? And that's what a successful cliffhanger should do. Mm. So I give big thumbs up on the ending. I will. I will. I will give them credit in the sense that, that when you when you end a title match that way and you, you end with a stinger of I'll tell you what happened on another show. Like I think that's that is cool. And it, like regardless of who it is, I think that and I didn't see it coming. I certainly did not see it coming. I, I would not have imagined AEW's biggest TV show since their debut, arguably, would have ended in that fashion. But I just can't escape the thought that it's impact. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I was talking about this with some of my friends and even though it is definitely a smaller company, I, I think I would have been more into it if it was fucking NWA rather than impact. It's like, it's like impact just doesn't, it has like, not only is it not popular, it, it's not even really niche either. It's just small and shit. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like NWA is like a cutesy little kit studio show but at least people kind of like it on some level do you know what i mean it's just it's just that it's impact i just really couldn't get over that i think impact is in a strange situation at the moment not even situation but a strange place at the moment where it simultaneously doesn't necessarily have the stink of tna to it anymore that it used to have no, yeah absolutely but it has more of a stink of and it's a word I don't like using because it gets used on the internet so much these days and almost lost all meaning, but like the stink of irrelevance. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I, I don't think people look at it anymore as, uh, you know, Russo, Dixie, shitty, you know. I don't think people look, but I think, yeah, people are kind of disinterested for a whole unique set of reasons currently. Um, and I, I wonder what AW gets out of this necessarily unless there is some behind the scenes uh business being done in terms of them like taking some ownership and impact or something crazy like that like i understand how impact benefit from relationship with aew mm. in visibility wise and aew could benefit potentially from a talent exchange or something but like visibility wise i don't get what aew benefits from like their champion being linked to impact suddenly I, I don't understand that see i i was had a similar feelings about them associating with impact and the whole kind of tna thing um but what made when i kind of thought about it what made it work is that for me it's not coming across as like a cross interpromotional feud right it's not like the the you know wwf invasion or you know some some kind of redo of that what it actually reminded me of was the summer of punk where the and the pipe bomb right right where punk 
was basically threatened to win the title and leave with it. And that's essentially what Omega's done. And I kind of see Impact just playing the role of like the, the evil outside company. So it doesn't really matter. It's not like they're trading off Impact's name. It's just that they're the kind of playing that role. In the same way, right. that if they had done the Punk storyline properly, obviously WWE did it for like two, yeah. two weeks and then he came back and it was, you know, bollocks. Um, you know, he, was, he didn't turn up in ROH or anything. But if um, it feels like they're kind of just doing that, but doing it sort of properly, and that's why impacts are involved. So I don't know if this is going to lead to like really anything significant, like crossovers into promotional stuff with impact. I kind of hope it doesn't. I kind of hope it just remains any using impact as like a, a pirate ship where he wants to go. Mm. That's why I hope happens. So yeah, if, if if it's purely for like storyline purposes, I think that's very interesting. Mm. Um, it, in a sense, it's it's breaking new ground, really. Okay, as you say, Summer of Punk, they didn't even like go the the whole hog with it. Um, I think that's I think that's really interesting. That's a good point. Um, I definitely think if were they to use that relationship and go into a inter promotional feud, I think it's way too early for that. Yeah, I think way too early. And it actually made me think, as I, I remember, there's, um, I think it was after the Omega page, after they lost the tag titles, and Omega kind of stormed off with the Bucks following, and he went, basically did exactly the same thing. He kind of went back through the backstage area, out to a car, and like jumped in it. And I was like, I remember when we reviewed that, I was really confused, because I, was, I didn't quite get where he was going, what he was asking them for. And I would kind of thought, is he like talking about jumping ship to another promotion? This doesn't make any sense. Now it kind of makes a lot more sense. It feels like that right. that whole thing was basically foreshadowing this. So apologies to Tony Khan. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> to Kenny Omega. You know, when they had um uh Callis on commentary a few weeks ago and I think we were like, What's why why is Don Callis on commentary? What's the point of that? but um obviously they did have this in mind so they were yeah I, I i respect that they did that little bit of foreshadowing that was that was good um and i'd say what if nothing else whether you're high in it or low in it i mean i'm certainly intrigued at, to the point that i will at least watch the impact youtube channel um uh if not the whole i mean look i'll, I'll be intrigued i i hope because the because the impact's actually been taped because they're doing obviously their mass tapings covid and all that so the speculation is just going to be a little thing. I hope it's not a little thing. I want it to be, you know, if, if they're telling people, if they're trying to get people to watch Impact, I want it to be fucking newsworthy. So hopefully it's something good, and then Wednesday will be will be interesting. I, I am at least interested. I, I, I will say that. Um, uh, yeah, so that's... that's Speak, Speaking of TNA, though, right? Mm. Can, or Impact... Can as part of this deal they get the rights to Sting's old theme song? Oh that now that would be the sweetest plum. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like it, it is funny to think what AEW get. I think that's I think that's why that story is interesting is because there are many questions and we we don't even really know because certainly the new sites haven't had it. It has not been confirmed if this is a legal thing, if it's a favor, if it's a one-off. Uh, yeah, but they should definitely throw that into the negotiation uh, pot. Uh, we did get the stinger. 
uh, on this show. He came out after the finish of the Cody and Darby versus Team Tez um, uh, match. Uh, oh, we we weren't here last week, so we didn't get stuck with the great angle where Taz choked out Cody. Um, but yeah, what do you make of Sting, the Stinger, real estate Steve, back in wrestling? I like that we got the old Shivani. It's I can't do it loud because Natty's asleep. It's Sting. Yeah, that was great. I, I thought it was pretty cool. We'll kind of see where it goes, but um, I think it's a good fit. It's a good fit. I think Sting kind of fits in this company with all the, all the, the kind of ex WCW uh, throwbacks. I think he kind of fits. I'm intrigued to see him with kind of Darby Allen and Cody as a little as a little group. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Very, very well done moments. Very well done moments. Uh, and, you know, the thing about Stig is that kind of, you know, I, I won't say he didn't look old because he's old. He is old. Uh, but the makeup does take the years off him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, yeah, cool moments. I, like the Kenny thing, I am interested what the follow-up is because I really don't want to see him wrestle. But I also feel like we don't need an authority figure on the show. So, um yeah, I wouldn't be opposed, even though I don't want to see him have a match, I wouldn't be opposed to him kind of doing what he did in WWE, which is like quarterly appearances where he chases off some heels um, who are doing wrong. Uh, I don't have really any interest in him doing anything else, to be, to be honest. No, I could see him maybe being in like a blood and guts match and just coming in at the end and like kicking and punching a few people. Yeah, something like that, just like a, a physical angle, but not not a match. But uh, yeah, I can see him being used used in a good way. They they use these old guys like Arn Anderson, Jake Roberts, you know, Tully Blanchard. They use them pretty well. So I think uh, I think it'll work out. Uh, what else happened on this show? Yeah, so the finish of that match was just a. Uh... Darby pinned Starks and then the heels did a beatdown and Sting, Sting, he didn't even run off the heels because they just disappeared. He, he just had an interesting stare down with the faces. Um, elsewhere, I don't think there was too much else newsworthy on this show. The winners of the Battle Royal thing were MJF and Orange Cassidy, so they're having a match for the ring next week. Yeah. Um, that match was all right, like Battle Royal, whatever. Uh, Britt Baker and Lena Hurst was alright wasn't anything amazing but it was alright for essentially a, not even it wasn't a squash it was a bit more competitive than that but you know a star versus like you know a dark uh, uh, jobber uh, of sorts uh, yeah that was I don't think there was too much else on the show um, uh, Jericho and oh time for Jericho to hang it up I think uh, <laughs> Jericho and Kazarian wasn't much and that wasn't Kazarian's fault. Um, yeah, next week. Oh, yeah, like the main event, too much stuff going on here. MJF runs down to throw in the towel. Sammy Guevara comes down. Jericho thinks Guevara's going to throw in the towel. Somehow in the midst of all of this, Kazarian still loses. Um, yeah, too much of that. And then next week, they're going to have an ultimatum on whether or not the inner circle stays together. Um, I think it's too soon to, to, to pull the trigger on this, so I'm sure they will stay together. Mm. Yeah, that, that was a nice, uh, nice angle. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it was made from the show. On those two big moments, it was, uh, it was a good, good, good show overall. Definitely paid off for the hype yeah. for me. And uh, NXT was on last night, but we won't talk about that because 
I did not watch it, baby. So, uh, yeah, we won't bother with that. Have we lost Barry, have we? Oh, I'm here, but I was briefly gone. Oh, here we go. Oh, he's back. Yeah. I think it's uh, about time to wrap it up. Yes. Be- Becky Lynch had her baby. Oh, oh yeah. It's Becky Lynch. Uh, yes, yeah, it's it's late breaking news here, but congratulations to Becky and Seth. Is it Rue? Is that the name? Ro Rue? Yeah, Rue. Very nice. Yes, so uh, congratulations to them. And um, yeah, next week we'll, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we'll know the baby's weight next week or something. Because uh, it's just, it's just, co- the, the, the news just came out now. So, so, um, so yeah, congratulations to them. Uh, yes, we'll be back uh, next week or this coming Sunday, I guess, uh, chatting about you know the AEW follow up. I'll give Impact a watch. I'm sure we'll all check in with the with the follow up on that. Um, and uh, you know more game got more Christmas, more movie got more all that stuff. You know yourselves. You know the show at this stage, fellas. So until then, it's goodbye from me, Barry. It's goodbye from Paul. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Joe Towner. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>